Hi, this is Matt from Working Fintech. We're really excited today as we're talking to Mark Martin, who's got an MBE. He's a teacher, an innovator, and a technologist. In the education space, he's working with schools and colleges and is the founder of Urban Teacher. In the tech space, Mark works with Google, Microsoft, Apple, and lots of other big tech firms. He's also worked with financial institutions like Goldman Sachs and many other big banks, and is also founder of UK Black Tech. Joining us today is working fintech founder member Daniel Tewo, and he's just graduated with a master's in finance from Lancaster University. So over to you, Daniel. Hi, Mark. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Here at Work in Fintech, we are helping bridge the gap for young people around what fintech actually is and how to get into fintech. You've been doing this for the broader tech industry for your entire career. Can you please tell us about this and your background leading up to the companies and positions you hold today? So thank you for having me. And it's a really interesting story. So when I came into education in uh, 2004, it was all about teaching young people to use desktop skills. So it was your Microsoft Words, your, your PowerPoints and your Excel. And in 2014, 10 years fast forward, the government wanted to compete on the global stage for computer science and digital skills. So we transformed from ICT, which is all about, you know, using applications into now seeing how algorithms and technology work in a, in a more of a broader sense. But even then, even introducing this brand new curriculum, there's this merging gap because all of these tech companies are moving into the city. But there was a disconnect between what I was teaching in my curriculum and what the industry wanted. And what I found a lot of times, especially with the emerging technologies, what industry wanted was our students learning the cutting edge programming tools to really plug them into the opportunities. So one of the things that I found was in my practice is that instead of just, you know, going to my line manager and, and expressing my concerns, why don't I go to the, the people in the industry and to see if we can, you know, bridge some of these gaps? And that's what I did. So I started to invite tech startups into schools. And it was really interesting because a lot of these tech startups felt they had the best technology in the world. And, you know, young people didn't know anything to, to do with tech. But actually, young people are smashing their tech products to pieces in the sense that, you know, a lot of their ideas were not you know, suitable for our young people and our young people, you know, fast forward three months and six months down the line, we're actually saying, sir, we can design things better than this. And that kind of, again, encouraged me to think that, do you know what? So much of our emphasis on our young people are about training them, but actually what do they, what are they really passionate about? What are their kind of skills that they have? And that, you know, by bringing in a little bit of innovation, what can we do better? So by leading this kind of engineering department at the school at the time, it kind of gave me the recognition to then travel to other countries and to share that practice of giving young people real industry skills, giving them, you know, cutting edge um, insights into technology. And then fast forward now, setting up an organization such as UK Black Tech to really showcase diverse innovators, people that are really changing the game. And yeah, that kind of is kind of positioned to me until what I'm doing now. You said you started UK Black Tech. 
I don't feel that somebody would find such a comedy without a reason behind it. What was the reason or what was the point or that made you start UK Black Tech? So again, on my travels to different countries, so from Silicon Valley to Texas, South by Southwest, there was all this, always this awkward conversation like, Mark, are you the only black person doing this? Where's the, you know, the representation from the UK? And it's not like the fact that, you know, there was no technologists coming from a, a black background in the UK. There's thousands of technologists coming from black, black backgrounds in the UK. But sometimes what we found is that there wasn't like a platform or a space where, you know, representation was to be seen. So what we decided to do is to form this platform to one, think about what does the next hundred years look like in terms of this tech sector? How would, you know, people who are underrepresented or doesn't have a voice at the table, how would that sound? So we kind of launched this campaign at Bloomberg in 2017. And at the time, it was very interesting in the sense that we really wanted to um, showcase to Bloomberg the talent, whether it's young or old, and then think about what are the biggest problems in the world that we can solve? And, you know, UK Black Tech doesn't just want to be a DNI group. We want to solve the biggest problems in the world and show representation as we solve those problems. And since we've led the organization, we've, you know, we've traveled around the world doing this in the sense of encouraging other companies to follow some of the good practices of supporting digital businesses, supporting institutions and also supporting um, innovators that are one day going to change the world. How do we help them to develop now then wait for it to be too late? That's very interesting. I love the fact that you're trying to solve the world problem, not just looking in the UK. I myself, I know why diversity is important, but for you, why would you say diversity is important, especially within the tech industry? So... I've done this research into computer science and especially young black kids getting into computer science at the age of 14 upwards. So that's key stage four and also key stage four and key stage five. And when we changed over from the national curriculum, we saw there was a 50% dropout of black young people getting into uh, GCSE and A-level subjects of computer science. And then when we looked at university, we saw that there was a massive retention issue in terms of how many you know black students that start at um, year one and then get the degree. There was a massive dropout. And then when you look into the industry, you know they're the most unemployed. And then when you look at the boardrooms, they're non-existent. But what's really interesting is that the technology comes back to haunt those individuals. So there was this facial recognition uh, software that the Metropolitan Police had uh, launched. And it arrested a 14-year-old boy and took its fingerprint because it mistakenly had, you know, probably taken that young person for a criminal. Now, if you look at the whole carousel of what I've just said is that if you don't have greater representation coming into tech and, you know, challenging the status quo, the technology that's supposed to serve us and protect us will one day eventually come to harm us. So that was one of the biggest emphasis for UK Black Tech in the sense that we're not just here for representation matters, but actually we need to be seen as the innovators, the people that are really changing the narrative within this space. And UK Black Tech, you're just one company, and I know you're trying to solve a very big issue, but 
no man is an island. Not one company can solve a big issue as this. What do you think needs to be done in, within the wider tech industry for this diversity issue to be solved? Because like you said, a 14-year-old being mistakenly identified is not on and should not be happening. So what needs to be done is I think that one, one of the, the things that I saw in Silicon Valley, which was fascinating for me coming from the UK, was perceptions. So when you go over there, you know, there's there's a, a, a mix of representation. You've got um, Chinese, you've got Indian engineers, and then you've got African-American, you've got the Latino community. And when you look at the kind of Indian and Chinese population, they don't have no problems with, you know, being accepted into tech and having issues around getting into leadership and, and innovation roles. But when we looked on the African-Americans and uh, Latinos, we saw that there was a huge issues in the sense that, you know, that their flight path into some of these roles or into these companies is a big blockage. And then when we look at a lot of the tech companies, they have no problem embracing uh, black culture. So if you look at tech companies, they embrace the music, they embrace the sports stars, they embrace the celebrities. But when it comes to embracing those black individuals at leadership and in the STEM roles, it's a big challenge. So for us, until we're ready to face up to some of these difficult conversations in the sense that, okay, you like the culture, but how come the people are not being you know, accepted in? And then also when it comes to perception, how do we perceive those minorities that don't look or sound or smell like us? How do we bring them in to really hear their thoughts and their innovation? Ho- hopefully that changes soon because like you said, they embrace our culture, but they also need to embrace the people who actually want to work in this industry. I just want to circle back to what you said at the start. You said that you talked to a lot of people in industry and you wanted to try and connect the dots between what was being taught in the classroom and what was actually being used in an industry. And then you saw that that what they wanted in industry, they really wanted students to know the cutting edge technology, the cutting edge software skills. What are the key cutting-edge software skills that students need nowadays to become a success in the technology industry? So we don't teach computer science in the sense of helping every young person to become a programmer. We teach it so they can understand the world around them. And sometimes there's a misconception like just learn digital skills and learn how to program and get big money. That's great, but also you need to understand how these algorithms work. So... You know, if it's manipulating you or something dodgy is going on, you can somehow understand the mechanics behind that. So what we kind of teach our young people in schools around digital skills is that, yes, it's the future. Yes, our high streets are becoming automated in terms of how we navigate on the high road. So from self-service checkouts to touchscreen, ordering your fast food, all the way through to like apps, delivering food and, and, and a range of things like that. Do you understand how that technology works? Do you understand how that technology is um, influencing you beyond your normal kind of, you know, uh, freedoms? And one of the things that we need to be teaching our young people is how to navigate this digital skills, you know, minefield. And that's what we do. So in terms of the, the biggest skills, yes, you know, we kind of teach the front end and back end in the in the sense with the front end it's about HTML, CSS and JavaScript. Back end is about Python, C plus and, and so forth. But ultimately it's how 
you know, giving young people or, or giving students the idea of how these algorithms are set up, what data sets are we using? And then also, what are we trying to solve in this world? Are we just trying to solve people that are got lots of money to, to, you know, make more profit? Are we trying to, you know, think about how can tech solve some of the biggest world's challenges around um, sustainable energies or renewable energies and so forth? So there's some big ethical questions that we need to ask. But we teach tech, not just for tech's sake. We teach it in terms of bringing everyone into a wider world of knowledge and tackling today's problems. You say tackling today's problems. One of the biggest problems today is the global pandemic. That has led to a lot of students, both in school and university, having to learn digitally. How has this affected the way you have taught? Because I know that teaching face-to-face is a lot different from teaching digitally. So has it, it become harder to teach these skills to your students or have you found it easy to adapt? Very interesting question. So a part of my body of work has heavily been involved in edtech. So I've been in the edtech space for the probably last decade now, working with Microsoft, Google on, you know, how do we enhance technologies within the classroom environment? And one of the biggest things that we've always been hearing about is MOOCs, you know, online learning. Is it going to take over? Can people learn in the comfort of their house or in their own flexible time? Now, for many years, we've kind of struggled to really get to a point of how do we upskill, reskill? How do we make people lifelong learners? Now, with the pandemic, the pandemic has accelerated how we access content. So for me as a teacher, instead of being in a classroom, you know, teacher facing students, we've had to then put all of the content online and then face a camera facing students. Now, On paper, that sounds great. But in reality, you know, some young people are arguing the fact that I've been looking at a computer for too long and my eyes are hurting. Or, you know, I don't have no emotional connection with the person speaking in front of me. Or depending on the teacher's style, if you haven't got no, if you haven't got variations in terms of how you're delivering that content, you might struggle and find it hard to, you know, to follow or engage. So alongside this whole kind of big technology shift, which is great, we've also got to think about the human element too. And that's the thing with technology. I think for, you know, when we hear about AI, machine learning and robotics, would it replace our job, especially a teacher's job? I think we're a way, a long way from that process because we still haven't probably understood the relationship between humans and the technology in, in, in its entire sense. You said you've been in edtech for the past 10 years. And like you said, the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of edtech. With the pandemic, how do you think the future of edtech will be? And also, you mentioned a very good point. I don't think a lot of people are touching on the emotional and the human element. What solutions do you think there are for that in the future so that students don't feel like they aren't looking in front of screens for too long, there's an emotional disconnect between them and their teachers. What solutions do you think can be put forward for that? I think I think going forward, and I think this is going to affect not only just young people or students, it's going to affect the whole industry in the sense that how do we connect and how do we disconnect from technology? And 
you know, for as I said before, we've we've relied a lot on technology, but we are starting to see the cracks around, you know, people's mental health, uh, around people's well-being. If you're sitting at a computer for a long time, you've got to think about ergonomics. I think most people that sit at a computer are not thinking about ergonomics in the sense that you could need to have a swivel chair, you need to have, you know, a, a space of lighting on your computer because before you know it, it's going to damage your eyes. So these are some of the practical stuff that, you know, we, we haven't really spoken about with um, remote working or working from home. And these are the things that are going to, one, sustain that person to be able to be effective on that machine. But also, I think, you know, I, I'm not totally against remote learning, online learning or remote work. I think it's, it is the future. It's here to stay now. And I think more and more, we need to be having a conversation around uh, blended learning. So blended learning means that, you know, learning continues no matter what. It continues online and offline. And you shouldn't be penalised whether you're doing it more offline or more online. It should just be a blended approach to in, in, in terms of helping that individual work around their learning style. So you feel that we should not have a blanket solution. We should try and find a solution that fits everyone's personal needs. Did I get that right? A hundred percent, because if you look at the top most downloaded apps, most of them have been well-being apps. And, you know, um, I, I've been looking at the rise of Calm over the last couple of years in terms of their rise in Silicon Valley. And, you know, people are people are trying to unplug in, in, in a range of different ways because, one thing we do know, especially with social media and how that works, it's always trying to get your attention. So whether it's, you know, something popping up or something being advertised to you, it's pulling you in to, you know, sap up your attention. And sometimes that could be a good thing in terms of people wanting to escape from whatever their situation is. But ultimately, you need to have, you know, long screen time. So I think it needs to be blended. And I think the, the employers or the managers that understand this relationship between the technologies and the, the employees will definitely be the, the employees of the future. And that's one thing to think about in terms of leading businesses and startups. I want to circle back to when you were talking about computer science and you said that computer science is not just about teaching people to become a programmer. It's about teaching people to understand the world around them. When I hear about computer science, that's what I thought, that you were just going to teach people to become a digital programmer. So that's why I ran away from it. However, let's say you encountered somebody like me, a 16-year-old who wants to run away from computer science. How would you convince them to actually take that up because at this present point in time throughout this whole conversation we have talked about the importance of technology how technology will be the future how technology will be in everything that we do so to we would need to understand it and from what you said one of the solutions is computer science so how would you convince some a 16 year old version of me so one of the things with uh, computer science is that it's not just about you sitting at a computer you can do a range of like most things we do in today's world, we use technology. And one of the things that I always tell my young people is about, do you understand the opportunities of technology and understand the businesses in your local space? So uh, apart from the digital skill gap in terms of the industry, industry saying, hey, we need more people and we're going to pay you big salaries. 
But actually, do you understand like the opportunities and are you aware of the opportunities that exist? And, you know, this generation wants to be solving problems that matter to them. And, you know, if you're, if you're passionate about something, if you want to try to, you know, achieve something in this world and to, you know, leave a legacy of whatever that, whatever that will look like, you can use technology to help you to achieve that goal. I think, um, long gone are the days where we will say to you, like, you know, just get a job working in tech and make lots of money. Yeah, you can potentially do that, but is that going to bring you happiness? Is that going to bring you satisfaction? And I think that for someone like yourself who's thinking about getting into tech or trying to navigate the tech uh, space, it's about thinking to yourself, what's going to inspire you? What are you, what do you want to try and solve in this world? And that's me essentially because a lot of people said, Mark, you're a teacher. You're supposed to just be in a class, you know, just teaching young people. But actually, I've been able to travel around the world, work with some amazing people and some amazing companies because I've been a passionate. I've been passionate for the fact is that technology is just a tool. And, you know, I'm going to use this tool to impact more people's lives and, you know, see how far we can push this tool. And that's how I've seen it ever since. So for someone like yourself, you know, in that toolbox, there's a range of different tech that you can get into to try and solve something in this world or to, you know, uh, express yourself or to, you know, understand how things are working at a faster pace. And, you know, the world's your oyster in that sense. You said you've travelled the world and some people wanted to pigeonhole you. And I'm happy that you didn't allow that. But can you please explain to us how you managed to go from being just a teacher to actually working with some of the biggest companies in the world? Because that is quite remarkable. Yeah, and and that's an interesting question. So when I came into teaching, you know, your kind of career is like move up the ranks. You might become like head of department, which I was. And then from that, becoming to the get into their senior management team where you're managing the the day to day of the school, and then probably one day you become a head teacher where you're running your own school at some point. But I was just really keen to be a subject specialist. I really wanted to be someone that understands my subject and was able to connect the industry communities and you know showcase the potential there. And one of the things that I've realised is that. Sometimes a lot of people go into careers where, you know, when you was a young person, no one told you about or, you know, someone just didn't tell you that, you know, as a teacher, you just don't need necessarily need to be in a classroom. You could be working on some exciting projects. And that's how I kind of led it. And it's interesting that we're talking about skills because when I got my Google qualification as a Google educator and a Microsoft educator, that then propelled me to do some amazing stuff. So never underestimate how, you know, that continual learning, learning new skills, whether you go on LinkedIn learning or future learn, learn. There's so many learning courses out there. And that enabled me then to, one, have a 50,000 feet vision of my field. Because what you'll find is that a lot of people go into jobs and they're just faced with the challenge of the job, face on. But when you start to learn these skills, it elevates you to see greater opportunities. And that's, for me, I started to see these greater opportunities as I learned more skills. So I'm probably a skill-aholic. And some young people say, say, you're still learning. And I say, yeah, every day I'm learning because it kind of, it elevates me even higher to see what's around me. So now I'm starting to look at green jobs. What does 
green jobs mean and what's the future of green jobs because that's the big thing that everyone's trying to grapple with. So again, don't have underestimate skills because it elevates you in your field. As a self-proclaimed skillaholic, I know this next question might be quite hard to answer, but if you were to pick just three skills that you say would help people break into the tech industry, what three skills would you say students should focus on? People either graduating from school that want to go straight into work or people graduating from university that want to go into work and work in the tech industry. Fantastic question. So one of the first skills is emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. Do you understand emotions? Do you understand your emotions? Do you understand the emotions around you? That's one big skill. I think it's not tech-related, but it is tech-related in the sense that if you know how to manage your emotions, you can work at an optimal level. The second thing is, is that never be, never see failure as the end of something. So if you fail a test or if you're not getting where you want in the tech field, don't feel that it's you. Try and see it as feedback to enhance where you can go and how you can navigate yourself within that space. Because a lot of times in tech, failure comes very quick. And I think a lot of people are either demoted or stay in the same position for a very long time because they feel that they can't achieve any uh, better. And then Last but not least, learn Python. <laughs> learn Python. That's my uh, slogan. I love Python. Python, I've been learning it for the probably last uh, two to three years. And it's, it, you know, it's given me such a deeper understanding of how algorithms and how coding works. So if anyone else wants to uh, dispute that, then I'm happy to have a conversation. But I like Python. Learn Python is a great skill to have. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for that, Mark. I was just sitting in the background listening to this, this really interesting conversation. So, so to kind of sum up, you know, computer science for you has helped you unlock opportunities, as has continuous learning. Like me, myself, I'm always learning new things. And that's what kind of gets you out of the bed in the morning. It's, it's really interesting and fun when you, when you approach it the right way. And it's, it's using computer science to unlock opportunities in your world, as well as the bigger world. But it seems, listening to you, the big thing that's driven you is actually passion. Passion has been the main driver and, you know, the idea to leave a legacy. And you spoke about your 100-year plan. And then you can use technology to achieve this. This is this is a tool as part of your toolkit that's going to help unlock it. So, so on that note, Mark, it's been brilliant listening to this. It's been a really interesting conversation. Daniel, you asked some great questions as well. So, so we'll wrap that up. So thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks a lot, Daniel.